KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Friday, March 11th. MTS ridership is up. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Unionized grocery store workers in Southern California will soon decide if they will strike. The United Food and Commercial Workers Union authorized the strike vote on Thursday. It follows a stall in negotiations with the owners of Ralph's, Vaughn's, Pavilions, and Albertsons. The union says the vote will take place between March 21st and the 26th. The sailor accused of setting fire to the USS Bonham Richard in 2020 was in court on Thursday. Seaman's apprentice Ryan Sawyer Mays is charged with arson and hazarding a vessel. Mays faces up to a life sentence. He's expected to go to trial by late summer. Coronado City official Roger Miller resigned following the release of a video alleging that he and his wife made racist statements towards Asians. Miller was the city's director of recreation and golf services. His resignation comes after a month-long investigation. That's according to a statement from the Coronado City manager, Tina Friend. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Record-breaking gas prices are encouraging more people to use public transit. But KPBS reporter John Carroll found that the region's largest transit system was already seeing more riders even before gas went up. It's been a wild ride for MTS, the Metropolitan Transit System, since the pandemic began two years ago. Ridership of its buses and trolleys fell by 73% during the worst days of the pandemic when so many people were staying home. The MTS's Mark Olson says the surge in gas prices has helped boost ridership, but he also says it was already headed in the right direction. For last year's budget, we we're anticipating about 11% ridership growth. Um, we just updated those numbers to a 45% increased ridership growth over the previous year. Olson says MTS is planning on rolling out a new program in May that will allow riders 18 and under with a Pronto Pass to ride for free. And that was KPBS's John Carroll. And people aren't only reaching for buses or trains, people are also using electric bikes. KPBS science and technology reporter Thomas Fudge has more. Pedal Ahead is a San Diego nonprofit that has the goal of improving the health of low-income people and reducing carbon emissions. They 
They raise money to get 400 electric bikes, which they loan to people who qualify for the program. One of them is Pamela Hill, who says she rides from 60 to 100 miles a week, running errands and just getting exercise. She says the electric assist makes it a lot easier to deal with San Diego's challenging landscape. You know, my world of places that I want to entertain going just opened up vastly just because of the amount of hills in San Diego. Now I don't worry about the hills. The e-bikes from Pedal Ahead are the pedal assist version, meaning you still have to pedal the bike, but its electric motor gives you a helpful push. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News. An update now on a San Diego bakery owner whose family is still in Ukraine. She wants to bring them here, but as KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado tells us, they still say they want to stay. Daria Nadar, who owns and operates Oh My Cake in San Diego, has raised more than $5,000 to help the Ukrainian war efforts. People there are in the battle of their lives since the Russian invasion. Her parents, sister, brother-in-law and nephew just fled the capital of Kyiv to a somewhat safer part of Ukraine. A video chat means the world to this family right now. I want to hug your Soon, soon. I hope soon. Her mom, Svitlana Tarnovska, says they didn't want to leave, but the bombing just got too close, and they left for the sake of her eight-year-old grandson, Andrew. I am fine. While Daria wants them to come to America, they just want to stay home. I pray that war soon, soon stop. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News. Coming up, a new study from UC San Diego shows online tutoring can help students recover from learning loss caused by the pandemic. We'll have that story and more just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Rental rates and home prices continue to climb in San Diego County, and that's pricing out many families and seniors. KPBS Speak City Heights reporter Jacob Ayer says a new affordable housing complex in the heart of City Heights looks to make a dent in the issue when it opens up later this year. A new affordable housing residence catering to seniors and low-income families in City Heights is in the final stages of construction. The project is a 100% affordable housing development that has 78 family units and 117 units for seniors. Serving Seniors CEO Paul Downey says he hopes this space brings together people from different age groups. But sometimes with affordable housing, you know, we tend to kind of warehouse. We'll put a bunch of seniors here, we'll put a bunch of veterans there. And really having that cross-generational interaction is healthy and normal and it benefits everyone who's living there. Prospective residents who are 62 and older can now register their interest in the housing complex at servingseniors.org. 
Downey says to do so quickly, as demand is very high. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News. Community colleges have not provided housing in the past, but some local schools are getting new state funding to build affordable housing for their struggling students. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez has more. San Diego City College was awarded $344,000 to design affordable housing for its students. The money will fund plans for a 16-story high-rise building with room for 610 City College residents. They will live in the shadows of multi-million dollar condos and apartments downtown and adjacent to the campus. John Parker is vice president of administrative services at City College. We actually did have to complete a market analysis for rents and to ensure that the rents would be below market and get priority given to low-income students. Southwestern College in the South Bay was awarded almost a million dollars in grant money to plan affordable housing for students at its four campuses. More state funding will come when it's time to start construction in about a year. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. New research out of UC San Diego shows online tutoring could help K-12 students recover from learning loss experienced during the pandemic. In a pilot program, students received online tutoring twice a week for 30 minutes. Sally Sadoff with UCSD's Rady School of Management says the results are promising. She recently spoke with KPBS's Christina Kim. Your research finds that online tutoring helps students recover from pandemic-driven learning losses, which I think for some who were afraid that online learning was kind of the cause of this learning loss in the first place, it can seem a little antithetical. What was it about the online tutoring model that really worked in this study? There's a lot of evidence now that in-person tutoring is highly effective at helping students catch up who have fallen behind. And we think the reason for this is that students get this really close attention, either one-on-one or one-on-two tutoring that allows the tutors to individualize the material to the students and work closely with them. And what we're finding in our study is some suggestive evidence that you can use that model online because it's just one tutor working with just one other student or two other students were able to recreate that close connection and build those personal relationships that we think allows students to really learn in that environment. What are some of the challenges public schools are facing to provide resources like this, such as online tutoring right now? I think there is a challenge in recruiting online volunteers. We were really lucky to partner with Cove Education, which has developed a network of college volunteers who provided the service as college students return to in-person learning themselves. It has become a bit more difficult to recruit volunteers, but we are now partnering with the California State Universities, which have a volunteer requirement for their students. And I think that this could be a great opportunity to provide college students with volunteer opportunities and provide tutors to K-12 students in need. You mentioned partnering with California universities. So what are next steps in getting this program rolled out? And is it possible that we'll be seeing it here in San Diego? We would love to expand this program to elementary, middle schools, and even high schools in San Diego. The partnership with Cal States is really promising. We would also like to work with universities to allow students who are on work-study to use their work-study funding to serve as tutors, which you think that could really expand the number of college students who are able to serve as tutors. 
What do you think people should take away from this research? Our results are from a small-scale pilot study, and so they're only suggestive, but we think that they're promising enough to support a larger-scale program where we really see the extent to which online tutoring can help students recover, not only from the learning losses during the COVID-19 pandemic, but going forward, students who may have fallen behind in school for other reasons. We think we've shown that it's logistically feasible to create this network of volunteer tutors and possibly combine that with paid tutors through programs like work study or other sources of funding. And these programs can be incorporated into the school day and can be highly effective at connecting students with college students. The program not only provides academic support for students, but also allows them to build a personal relationship with someone in college and gives them exposure to a world that they may not know very much about. I think we're also seeing a lot of mental health struggles amongst students due to the pandemic. And having these personal relationships also provides socio-emotional support, which is something we're also interested in exploring in future studies. And that was Sally Sadoff with UC San Diego speaking with KPBS's Christina Kim. San Diego Latino Film Festival returned to being in person last night as it kicked off its 29th season at its new location in Mission Valley. The festival will host 200 movies from around the globe and from here in San Diego. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando has more. San Diego Latino Film Festival has been existing in a virtual space for two years because of the pandemic. But last night, exhibitions manager Moises Esparza was excited to be back in cinemas sharing films as a community. I may be a traditionalist in the sense that I like watching my movies in a dark room with a lot of people on a big screen. So to be able to get back to those basics is really amazing to me. But those basics are getting a bit of an upgrade this year. Festival founder Ethan Vontilo points to the new location at Westfield Mission Valley Mall. They've been very supportive to us these past few years during the pandemic. They, in fact, uh, gave us a free storefront this past two years where we've been having our educational classes for our youth media and tech camps and our teen producers project. And so it was a natural fit to also have the San Diego Latino Film Festival here. And we've taken over this old restaurant from the AMC Cinemas. Uh, we have a stage outside. So when people come to see the movies, they're going to see a lot of activities. We call it our festival village. The old Ruby's Diner is now bursting with art and provides a space for attendees to hang out and talk about films. You can't get that, you know, from your your TV or your, your Netflix account or something like that. So it, we're really excited to bring back that in-person component. The importance of getting together as a community and talking to each other and dialoguing about the films and just being together. Fontilo says that community was broadened by increasing the diversity of voices on the festival staff. The curating team this year is expanding our network of films, and we've invited many people like Adriana Trujillo to be guest curators. So we have different programs and different programmers for the first time that we, we never had before. Which led to showcasing 200 films. You know, I told the team, let's, you know, let's show less films because it's a pandemic. We don't know who's going to come. But yet they programmed more of the films than ever. Exhibitions manager Moises Esparza says that might be because there were so many films to choose from this year. Even though everyone's in a pandemic, I think creatives really went out of their way to find 
innovative ways to make movies. One of the new showcases that emerged highlights the indigenous experiences of Latin Americans. And we have a showcase called Nuestras Raices, Our Roots, which explore these ideas of the importance of language preservation, cultural preservation, and of course not only like preserving them, but sharing them with the whole world. The strange world of a Mundo Extraño showcase pushes the envelope with some audacious filmmaking, says Esparza. There's a very almost like old school slasher called Al Morir al Matiné, which is like death by matinee almost. It's like a Jalo inspired like slasher film set in a movie theater. Then there's a great Brazilian film called Medusa, which explores kind of religious celibacy amongst a group of women and how they band together to be the moral police in a way, and then go out of their way to hunt women who are who they consider to be immoral. Political commentary, kind of fantasy elements, and just some really beautifully staged sequences. I mean, Medusa is such a powerhouse of a movie. I'm really excited for for people to see it. Esparza doesn't like to play favorites, but each year, he does fall in love with one film. Uh, there's a film from Mexico called Dos Estaciones, directed by Juan Pablo Gonzalez, that just really floored me in its delicacy and intimacy, which kind of translate to this like very interior film about small actions, small movements, small like, brief encounters. So it's all about like the brief moments in life that kind of define us. And the film is so many things. It's an exploration of a woman who's on the verge of maybe losing her tequila factory, but it's also about her journey to create emotional connections. And with recent news that Mexico will now allow birth certificate changes for transgender people, Esparza says Threshold is an appropriate film. It's an autobiographical documentary by a mother who follows the gender transition of her adolescent son. And it's told through a collection of family portraits and very intimate home footage. So it's almost like watching a home family movie about someone else's life. But the way it's arranged and composed is is so vivid and wonderful. So Threshold is a film that deals with trans issues that I think is a must-watch at the festival. For closing night, attendees will move out of the festival village and over to Bread and Salt in Logan Heights, says Executive Director Von Tilo. We are taking over that space, and it's going to be our awards ceremony. But then we have this wonderful 10-piece band coming from L.A., a Jungle Fire, they're called. You know, what a way to celebrate getting back in person. Watching these films in person and on the big screen is what excites Esparza each year about putting on the festival. I, whenever, like, I'm not on the floor, I'm usually, like, in the hallway watching a film or re-watching a movie and being like, okay, I look so much better on the big screen. That's kind of, like, my takeaway whenever I watch these movies at the festival. And this year, people will be able to enjoy San Diego Latino Film Festival online and on the big screen. Beth Lacomando, KPBS News. The San Diego Latino Film Festival runs through March 20th at the AMC Mission Valley Theaters. After two years of COVID cancellations and adjustments, San Diego's beloved Cherry Blossom Festival returns in its pre-pandemic form this weekend at the Japanese Friendship Garden in Balboa Park. Here to talk with me about the 2022 Cherry Blossom Festival is Mariah Williams. She's the events and marketing coordinator for the Japanese Friendship Garden. Mariah, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So for people who haven't been to the festival, what can they expect to find this year? 
So we are very excited. Cherry Blossom is one of our largest and most beloved events. So we're grateful to have it kind of back in full swing this year. We've been working really hard. We'll have our beer and socket garden, a children's area, tons of vendors, of course, food vendors, because that's a must, um, a tea garden, and it's just going to be amazing. And the blossoms, thankfully, since Mother Nature has its own kind of timeline, they are blooming fully, so it's perfect. And can you tell me about some of the performances that are part of the festival? Yes, we will have performances every hour on the hour daily, starting at 11 a.m. We will have taiko drummers, we have choruses, flute players. We will even be having a cosplay contest, which is new to the garden. So we're super excited. We have a whole lineup of contestants and we hope people come out on Saturday to see who the winner will be. And um, can you tell us about some of the vendors for the festival? Because I do believe there's some local names that listeners may recognize. So we have a lot of wonderful vendors coming from merchant vendors to food vendors. We have some amazing Japanese food being created. We have vendors like Amigiri House. We also have sumo-sized Japanese street-style food coming. The Buddhist Temple will also be participating, and they make wonderful food. For those who are looking to find something special, we have over 23 merchant vendors attending, which is so great. We love supporting small business at all times in an open-air market setting. Um, so if you want to come through, we do have some vendors selling some yukatas and kimonos, which is always fun. We have popular merchant vendors like Worthy Pick Sustainable Products. They're a great vendor to check out, very popular in the area. It's always great to be able to pick up sustainable objects, which is very important to the garden. You guys have some uh, local brewers, too. Can you tell us about them? Yes, we have our returning vendor, Setting Sansake, coming to help us with our beer and sake garden. They are a local favorite. They do brew here in San Diego. We do have other companies coming and um, participating like Choya, some local beer companies. Um, it's gonna be great. So the festival aims to highlight the culture of Haname. Can you tell us more about that? Cherry blossoms actually typically only bloom between one to two weeks. So the idea is that when the blossoms bloom, they do spark the timing of spring. So most people will go out and celebrate under the cherry blossoms, sometimes have um, a blanket and sit down and picnic with some sake. It also reminds you that um, time and beauty is fleeting. It's only here for a couple of weeks. So take the opportunity, take the moment to go enjoy that experience. Alrighty. And I've been speaking with Mariah Williams, events and marketing coordinator at the Japanese Friendship Gardens in Balboa Park. Mariah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, and we hope everyone can make it down this weekend. We are super excited to celebrate with anyone and everyone who wants to join. It's beautiful. The 2022 Cherry Blossom Festival runs this weekend, March 11th through March 13th at the Japanese Friendship Garden in Balboa Park. You can find ticket information on their website at niwa.org. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. This podcast is produced by KPBS senior radio producer Brooke Ruth and me, Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful weekend.